this morning we're going to actually start, um, kind of return back to our, our once a month series on our mission as a church of being all of Christ and all of life for all the world. And this morning we're going to take a little bit different look at the idea or uh, the need for us and the importance of us gathering together in corporate worship and specifically dealing with the idea of worshiping in song. And the, the truth is that as we kind of look at the idea of, of worship and we think about musical worship, I want us to kind of think for a minute about what comes immediately to mind. What do you immediately think of when we talk about corporate musical worship? Uh, for some, it might be uh, styles and the consideration of styles, different styles. Is the music fast or slow? Is it dense in terms of theology or is it simple? For others, there may be other things that come to mind, which is that musical worship is just something to be endured until you get to the real substance, right? We see that all the time. We see that as we kind of compare and say, well, is it, you know, I don't particularly want to sing this morning, and so I'm going to come for the message, but I'm going to skip corporate worship. For, for others, it's an opportunity to join together with one voice proclaiming God's glories. See, commonly we see corporate musical worship as an opportunity to teach one another. We see that in Colossians 3.16 where we're teaching with hymns and psalms. Or we see it in terms of corporate prayer as revealed in the psalms where we're praying together, we're declaring God, but we're coming to, to God and we're, we're praying to Him, asking Him to do something to us as a body. Think about songs like Refiner's Fire, right? I hope that as you sing that song, what you're asking for is for God to bring fire that refines you. That what we pray for corporately is that God might actually move out the sin or move out the stuff within us that is hindering us from, from following Him. And it's easy sometimes in song to get lost in the, the melody or the music and forget what we're actually asking. But Hebrews 2 tells us there's another reason for corporate musical worship. And the reason that he reveals here is that it's important is that Christ himself sings God's praise. So let's go ahead and look at this passage together. It's in Hebrews 2. We're going to be looking at verses 10 through 13, a small portion of Scripture this morning. And I hope that as we look at this together that it gives you a little bit different perspective on worship, a different way of thinking about our corporate worship experience together as Christ's church and the importance of singing together as his church. This is what it says in verse 10. It says, For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he's not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we can come before you with the power of your word this morning. We thank you that 
you've given us your word and that, Lord, your desire is that we are a people who are submitted to Christ and following Christ. Lord, I pray that this morning that, Lord, you'd remove distractions from our hearts and minds and that, God, that we would truly hear your word. That, God, that you would implant it on our hearts this morning. Steady our hearts. Bind the work of the enemy, Lord. God, may it be your voice who we hear that we respond to. God, push me aside and may it be you that brings your word forth in power. Thank you, Lord, that we can come to you. Thank you that we can seek you. And thank you, Lord, that you allow us to sing of your glories. And we ask this in your name. Amen. The heart of this passage is the fact that corporate musical worship identifies us with Christ as we follow his example in glorifying God. Corporate musical worship identifies us with Christ as we follow his example in glorifying God. It's an identifying glory. That's what's happening. That one of the reasons that we we sing together is because we're actually identifying with Christ in glorifying God. Now verse 10 begins, For it was fitting that he, for who and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Now, the key here is that God did not begrudgingly send his son into the world to die for our sins, but rather, as Isaiah 53.10 says, yet it was the will or good plan of the Lord to crush him. This is why he can say it's fitting. God didn't look at the situation and go, oh, I can't stand this, that this is, I just hate this. I, oh man, I got to give him my son. What God said was, I'm going to send my son because they are in need of redemption. They're in need of a savior. And this plan is good. It's right. It's as if God was saying in this moment that it pleased him to do so. think about that in our own lives and we think about what the Lord asks us to do I can think in my own life when my parents would ask me to do something right generally speaking especially if it was taken out the trash or if I was busy watching a football game it was like one minute right and one minute really meant three hours and three hours really meant to I'll get to it when it's convenient for me right it's begrudging it's not willful now, if somebody's standing at your door and they're offering you a hundred bucks, you get up in the middle of that game, you get up right then, and it's you're driving for it. We have to see it as worthwhile. And Jesus is actually in this moment, God is saying that I gave Jesus because he's worthwhile for you. He is the gift that I have given you. And God does not do it begrudgingly. He does it willfully and that's why he says for it was fitting because it was in line with God's character to do so it was in line with God's love for us that he did it see God willfully made the founder of our salvation perfect through suffering now that phrase there founder of our salvation perfect through suffering is important that word founder 
can be translated a number of different ways. It has a lot of different tie-in or meanings. It's actually hard to encapsulate the meaning of this Greek word in one word, but probably the best encapsulation of it is founder or captain or author. It's the idea that Christ has made a way for our salvation and is the example for our living out of our salvation. He's made the way, and then he's lived it out. So he's made the way by dying for us, by taking upon our sin and our rightful punishment, he's died for it. He then rises again, defeating the power of death, and lives out the faith that we have both prior to his death, but then in the power of the resurrection, and he is our example. And so he is the way and the example for living out our salvation. This idea carries with it an idea of a leader who makes a new way. The best way that I could maybe describe it is is like a SWAT team. It is the fact that the one who goes through the door first is is kind of directing the team, but the one who goes through the door first is actually in in, in the kill position, right? They call it the kill funnel in that position. Why? Because the person through the first the door first is the one that's often shot, often killed. And so it is that funnel that comes in. And so Jesus both takes the bullet, but also leads the way for us. He sets the example that God's love for us is one of sacrifice. Therefore, we live out a life of sacrifice and submission to him. Not because we have to, not because we begrudgingly do, but because we get to. See, it implies this risk that is being taken. And so Jesus leads the way and in so doing takes the proverbial bullet for us. That's how he's been perfected or perfected through suffering. It's not that he was imperfect. He couldn't be because God is, or Jesus is both fully God and fully man. But it means that he's been completed. It means that in order to be the perfect sacrifice for our sins, he had to experience the pain and sorrow of humanity leading to death, which, as one commentator puts it, through which he must pass in order to become the leader of the people's salvation. It is that in that moment when God says that, is it is that he then becomes, in essence, the right and perfect salvation sacrifice for mankind. You see, Jesus did not put off his divinity. But what he did do was he chose to live by faith, meaning that he didn't pull on its power. That's how he could be a perfect human sacrifice. He rested and relied upon the Holy Spirit to guide him. It was in the Holy Spirit's power that he lived did not chuck it aside. He was no less God, but he chose to live in his humanity through the power of his Spirit. And so it goes on, and it says this. It says, For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That source is God. And because God is a source of of Christ's ability to sanctify, save us, set us apart for him, and the source of those who have been sanctified, those who are being sanctified, those who have 
been set apart by God through Christ, we have unity with Him. Now notice this. It says this unique thing. It says that He is not ashamed. That is why He is not ashamed to call them brothers. See, we're unified because we have the same Father. That's what He's saying. And He's not ashamed to call us brothers. Now that seems like an interesting statement, doesn't it? it here's what it's saying. I don't know about you guys, but I was the younger brother. I was not the older brother. And so younger brothers have a knack for finding ways to embarrassing their older siblings, do they not? It's part of the lot in life. Things that bring humiliation are good things, in essence, as a little brother to an older sister. Now, I wouldn't suggest anybody doing that, by the way, Aaron. Um... But what I would say is that for many of us, we don't really think about it in this way. That because God sent his son and humbled Jesus, Jesus comes and identifies with us, humanity. He takes on humanity and is made perfect through that suffering in terms of in his humanity. Already perfect but coming and it becomes the perfect sacrifice for humanity. Now this is the same son that sat on the throne at the right hand of the father who's been humbled and comes and for a little while we're told in Hebrews 1 is lower than the angels and he's with us and he calls us his brothers and it says that he's not ashamed to do so. That's pretty awesome. What he's saying is he's not embarrassed of us. Why? Because the redemption that has come through Jesus, that it is in him that we have been perfected. You would think that the king that's sitting on his throne would be embarrassed to be associated with those that, that sin and rebel, that walk with limited understanding. No, Christ said that he called us brothers. And there's a unity there. And so he's united with us, and we're united with him. And so what happens here is that in this brotherhood, what does Jesus do? He starts, it tells us here in verse 12 and 13 that he tells of God's name to his brothers. In the midst of the congregation, he'll sing God's praises. He sings corporately. And so how do we identify then with Christ in musical worship? Well, the first way that we identify with Christ in musical worship is by declaring God's greatness and goodness. Praise. By declaring God's greatness and goodness. Praise. He says, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing of your praise. What's quoted here is actually a passage from Psalm 22, verses 21 through 23, which says, Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you offspring of Israel. See, telling of God's name is not just about teaching. 
Knowing God's greatness, as verse 10 reveals, for whom and by whom all things exist, and His goodness, as verse 10 continues, in bringing many sons to glory, should produce in us a sense of awe. It's not just that we we take the theology that we learn from musical worship and singing together, but it is that that should produce in us a sense of awe, a sense of amazement, a sense of reverence. It's the reason that musical worship in the body of Christ is not a casual, cocky conversation. It is fact that we are identifying with Christ, Christ Himself, who sings praise to God because the Son actually stands in awe of the Father. That's an amazing thing. See, when we hear God's name declared to us, praise is the rightful response. Praise is the rightful response to hearing His name declared. To hearing of His goodness, to hearing of His greatness. So how are we identifying with Christ then? Well, the, the, the use of the word my brothers in verse 12 speaks of the nearness of Christ. The closeness of Christ. And He identifies with us in our humanity and we identify with Him through salvation. And although he sits at the right hand of God today, he is still near and worships the Father with us in the midst of the congregation. That's an amazing thing. Have you ever thought about that? That while we're worshiping God, that Christ himself is worshiping the Father? That he worships with us? See, even though Christ sits at the right hand of the Father today, he's still about God's glory. He's still about the Father's glory. So when we worship corporately and declare His name, there's a nearness that's occurring. We're identifying with Christ, and Christ is actually identifying with His people as He, too, worships the Father. That's an awesome thing. Doesn't it change our perspective? Doesn't it move our perspective from seeing worship as just some words that we say and that we sing together and that sounded great and it was good to an experience that we're unified in Christ? That we're actually identifying with Christ because Christ in that moment is praising with us? That's awesome. That is an awesome thing. But it also changes the importance of corporate musical worship, doesn't it? If Christ himself sings of God's glories, then we too sing of God's glories. But more than that, we are unified with him in doing it. John 17, 26 through 25, excuse me, John 17, 25 through 26, Jesus says, O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. There's a power that comes as we worship 
and sing of God together corporately. We are declaring that glory and making His glory known, and Christ is making it known to us. Jalen and Duncan adds this. He says, do you ever walk away from a worship service and say, you know, I could have reached out and touched God today. He spoke so clearly and powerful in the Word, I could have reached out and touched Him. One reason why you understand that Jesus at the right hand is not ever just living to intercede, but He's worshiping with you in this congregation. He's worshiping God the Father with you and for you, helping you worship. And that's how He's identified with you. I hope that as we see that as we're taught and we declare the goodness of God and the greatness of God, we declare that He is the Creator of all things, for whom in all things exist. And we declare that He is the one who sanctifies through Christ. And He is the one who has sanctified man. That as we look at that goodness, that what is actually occurring is we are declaring that glory with Christ Himself. The second way that we identify with Christ through musical worship is that we are proclaiming our trust in God. We're proclaiming our trust in God. Verse 13 says, And again I will put my trust in Him. Isaiah 8.17 is the basis for this portion of Scripture. And it says, I will wait for the Lord who is hiding His face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope or trust in Him. We forget that Christ Himself knew what it was to live by faith. We spoke of that a moment ago, that Christ did not get rid of His deity, but He did not pull from the divine power, but lived by faith, trusting in the Holy Spirit's power. Christ knows what it's like to live by faith. And this is the Christ that resides in us when we repent and believe on Jesus. He's not a God who looks and says, Oh, you down there, let me help you. He's not a helper from a distance, but He helps from His nearness. God is a God who helps from within us. That's why He is able to change our heart. You ever try to teach somebody something and they just want you to do it for them? Right? And you're like, oh boy, they're never going to remember this, right? Because you're helping them from the outside. But when they do it from the inside, when they're, they're working through it and they're grinding through it and they're having to, to, to work through it, there's change. In the same way, because Christ is living in us, He is the one changing us. He's not from the outside, distant and calloused. But He's from the inside, working and renewing and changing through faith. John MacArthur put it this way. He says, this is Christ talking in the Old Testament. Isn't that beautiful? There you have Christ admitting that he lives by faith. That he lives by faith. It's a tremendous realization. Christ is saying, like my brothers, I tread the path of faith. 
And even in the Old Testament, it's revealed that Christ will put his trust in the Father. So it is that Jesus Christ takes his place as our brother, not certainly by nature, for we are human, he is divine, not in power, for we are again human and he is divine, but in righteousness we are brothers, and in faith toward God we are brothers. Jesus, when he was in this world, learned the obedience of faith and thus became a perfect Savior. When we worship and gather together, when we sing songs, we are proclaiming as his body, as his bride, as his brother, that our trust is in God. Corporate worship identifies us with Christ and should strengthen us and resolve through faith. I need to be reminded, do I not, that I need to live by faith? Not of my own doing, but of Christ's doing. And Christ declares, I, I will put my trust in Him. We too are declaring the same thing. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So we identify with Christ and the declaring of his greatness and goodness, which praise. Identify with Christ by proclaiming our trust in God. And when we identify with Christ, finally, we see in verse 13 by experiencing God's presence by experiencing God's presence verse 13 is an interesting one it says and again behold I and the children God has given me it sounds unique by itself we've just been being called brothers now we're being called children and there is this unique relationship in the humanity of Christ we are brothers and yet we are not brothers as, as equals because it is through Christ that we have been sanctified. Christ is the Son of God, and we are children of God. One source, as we're told earlier. And the idea here, this passage is taken from Isaiah 8 as well, verse 18. And he says, Behold, I and the children who the Lord has given me are signs and portents in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on my Zion. Now, what was happening in this portion of Isaiah was that they had just been told in chapter 7 of Isaiah that there would be a Messiah who would come named Emmanuel, God with us. In chapter 9, immediately following these verses, we're told that this Messiah would come and be called Mighty God, Prince of Peace. He's saying that this Messiah... And the children of God will actually bear testimony and witness to the truth that this is the Messiah. And to the truth that God is a fulfiller of His promises. It speaks to the family relationship that occurs through Christ. And it speaks to the fact that God's truth is seen and revealed through them. You see... When we worship together corporately, 
what's happening in those moments is we are identifying as part of Christ's family. And through the power of the Spirit, we are bearing testimony to His truth and to His nearness. And it is because the believer is filled with the Spirit that His presence is there. And so corporate worship is about this. A.W. Tozer talks about you can't remove emotion from worship because by nature worship is emotive. When we think of awe of God, it should invoke in us a response. It doesn't mean that emotion takes over. It means that there should be a response that causes us to move in awe and in joy and in reverence and gratitude. When we worship together and we're singing of His praise, we're also experiencing His presence. Ephesians 1, verses 13 through 14 says this. It says, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. As we sing together, as we declare together, as we identify with Christ together, we experience the presence of God in one another. And we experience the presence of God through the identification with Christ. Worship is not to be just an intellectual experience. And, and it's not to be an afterthought, something that's just done to get to the message. It is a way that the body of Christ identifies together with Christ. I love the way that Charles Spurgeon puts this, and we'll leave with this this morning. He says, Behold then, in your midst, O church of God, in the days of his flesh, there stood this glorious one from whom angels worship, who is the brightness of his Father's glory in the very heaven of heavens. Yet when he stood here, it was to join in the worship of his people, declaring the Father's name unto his brethren, and with them singing praises unto the Most High. Does this not bring him very near to you? Does it not seem as if he might come at any moment and sit in that pew with you? I feel as if already he stood on this platform side by side with me. Why should he not? It is in corporate worship that as a body, as his church, we can identify with Christ who is identified with us so that we might experience his salvation and glorify God. And so may corporate worship be about his glory, not our preference, not our feelings, but about his truth and a sense of awe, knowing that as we gather together, singing together, that we're identifying with him and experiencing His presence. Let's pray.
Lord, I pray this morning that as we we even sing this last song, that we might be reminded and stirred in our hearts to worship you from a position of identification. God, make our musical worship not be taken lightly. God, may it be from hearts of submission and surrender to a Messiah who was a gift to us from the Father. Lord God, may we be a people who willfully and joyfully and pleasing to you submit and surrender ourselves completely. And may our worship in life be one of a life submitted and sacrificed unto you. And may our corporate worship be one in identification and in experiencing your presence. And we ask these things in your name.